Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories with Amy Syed. This episode is brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. Today, we are going to talk to someone who's got a harrowing story about survivorship and thriving thereafterwards. We do want to start by sharing a content warning. Information shared in our podcast can be graphic in nature. We do recommend you review the details of our podcast before tuning in. We appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that the story shared with you today is inspirational and helps you get through tough times that you may be facing. Welcome again to Calm After the Storm. So welcome to episode six of Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories. Today we're talking to Leanne, and Leanne is a colleague and friend of mine. I am going to start this episode by providing you guys with a content warning. We are going to be discussing some sensitive topics, as we always do in our episodes here at the podcast, and I just want to make you aware of that for all the listeners who are going to be continuing on with this episode. So without further ado, welcome to Leanne. Leanne, I'd like you to just walk me through a little bit of what you do, um, how things have been going with the crisis going on, and just a little bit about what your team is doing as well. First of all, Amy, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored. So first of all, thank you. You thank are you. A, you are the light. I have oh, to say that you are the you. light. So I just recently had a birthday, 56. And, uh, yeah, big 56, closer to 60 now than 50. So anyway, <laughs> past that milestone, it's all good. I'm a mother of two mm-hmm. boys and um, they're both out West. So during this crisis, it's a little bit challenging, right? Because they're not here and I don't know when's the next time I'll really be able to see them physically. So yeah. it, that, that I have to say does weigh on me, but you know, it is what it is. I am in my second marriage now mm-hmm. and I'm married to a wonderful man from Newfoundland and he brings me lots of joy and makes me laugh and talks my ear off as the Newfoundlanders do. Yes. Um, and I, I think I should I have been a Newfoundlander because I heard that I talk just as bad as they do. <laughs> oh my God, that's so cute. Uh, so also, so on the business side of things, mm. I own uh, a business called Staying Alive Fitness. I've been in business now for 15 years and Staying Alive Fitness was built on the vision that we serve everybody. Like, Everybody is welcome in our little boutique style club. Where where are you located, Leanne? So we're in Acton, Ontario. So it's it's a very small, it's private club, and our it's it's a community. It's it's like my second family. It truly mm-hmm. is, and um, we really firmly believe that we give back to the community. So whenever COVID happened, it was interesting. Three days before I had to close my doors, I had a big staff meeting with my team. And I said to them, the present business model is not working. Either A, we close it down as a gym and I just operate privately, massage, 
personal training and I keep, you know, 50 of my favorite clients just to cover the operating cost in that scenario. Yeah. My team wouldn't have had jobs, right? Yeah. Scenario two, we build this thing out and we go for it, right? So everybody was, okay, let's build this out. And it was like, how do you see yourself in this new business model? Mm-hmm. What are your limiting beliefs? Yeah. You know, what roles are you going to take on in this new business? Because they're, you're, it's, it's a job you're creating, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not a job that exists. Yeah. So everybody, you know, we did our work, including me, because I'm not managing a, a business like that yet either. But do you know what, Amy? We are building out that business that we that doesn't even exist yet. I created a, a program called Pause, and mm-hmm. it includes energy work because I'm therapeutic touch and Reiki, and you know I do a lot of energy work, which I have never said before in my 30 years of doing it because I didn't out of fear I didn't want to be called crazy. I mean, yeah. I already had been called crazy a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I, I did, I, that program developed and also I layer it up with meditation and then the girls, they are building yoga classes for kids, um, fitness for kids and family. So the kids that are at home and they don't have gym anymore, tune in at 11 o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Jess is there. It's called red light, green light, and it's so much fun. So the girls all stepped up to the plate and every week we have a team meeting. And I have to say the team is closer now than it ever has been before. And this is the strongest team that I've ever had in 15 years of being in business. And so it's just incredible. So yes, okay, the gym isn't open, but we're still going for it. And it's for free because we just don't want to serve our community in Acton. I mean, we want to serve people globally. It's I love free. that. You can just turn in, that. tune in. So I actually have, you know, some some of our friends in India doing our workouts online. Like how that's amazing. That's, that's unbelievable. And that's just so great. So just to let everybody know who's listening, we are going to have resources available to you. So if you do want to also uh, join Leanne's classes and her staff's classes, link on that, the URL that we're going to place there, or we'll put all of your uh, social media handles as well so that you can join uh, Leanne and what she's doing. So um, without further ado, Leanne, I'm going to get started with a little bit about, you know, your story. So, you know, here at Calm After the Storm, we talk about, you know, uh, survivorship and what survivorship looks like. And we've had quite a few different stories so far in the first few episodes uh, in this series. And I, I really uh, want to touch on on the fact that when I spoke to you about your story, I was taken aback by your experience and um, really the things that you're going to be describing to us because I felt like it was quite a unique story, but also a very touching one. And to see you come out of it and thrive at the level that you're thriving right now at 56 is really a testament to who you are. So I am going to start by just touching on what, what did your childhood look like? And how did life look when you were growing up? It's interesting. On the outside, it looked perfect, right? I mean, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad ran a successful roofing business. And I have a brother and a sister. And the three of us were all very athletic, healthy. You know, we competed in track and field. I had horses. And we 
didn't lack for money. So we had a, a, a very privileged upbringing from the outside. But actually what was happening on the inside was uh, my dad, alcoholic, infidelity, never was faithful to my mother. And then in those days, the stay-at-home mom, well, at least in my case anyway, I mean, my mom had no um, say in the money. You know, it was very typical. The dad is the, you know, head of the family and mom takes care of the kids. And she really was a good mother in the sense that we were well ahead of the curve for health, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we were eating tofu before I mean not that I'm saying tofu is always the best food but I mean yeah. we were introduced to this whenever I was a, a young girl and I'm 56 now so she was always good with making sure we had sound nutrition three times a week we had to eat eggs and you know yeah. I mean so she was really yeah. she really took our health seriously but it, there was always an uh, uh, unsettled feeling there. My dad did hide his alcoholism for most of my childhood, okay. but it, you know, there's just that disconnect there. But I was, I would say, pretty intuitive young child. And around four, I, I was questioning and thinking, why are they together? And what's like? There was just always um, never. I, I never felt secure. Let's okay. just put it that way. Yeah. Like as I got into my teenage years, it's then that's whenever you know it started to fester, and then I could really see, you know, my dad came from very traumatic background himself. He didn't know who his father was, and he thought his mother was not his mother, and and so she was pregnant at a young age, and you know, um, what is it, disowned. So there was a lot of trauma in his life about around women. Okay. So um, as I started to mature in my early teens, I mean, he would say things to me. They called me Lee. I'm not Leanne. I'm Lee in mm-hmm. whenever in my family. And he's like, "Well, why don't you? Why don't you just become a stripper?" And it, it, I mean, and, it, and I'm not saying anything bad against strippers. That's that's not where I'm going with this. But for a father figure who you've idolized all your life to say that that's a career choice for you, it was very unsettling for me. And, and I mean, I I didn't have any words to come back with that except for, you know, I laughed it off as I do whenever I get into a sticky situation like that. And I'd say, well, you know, dad, I don't have the breasts for it. And then he'd be like, well, there's operations for that. And it's just like, yeah, wow. And then uh, whenever I guess I was around 18 and then that's whenever my parents decided that they would live apart. So my dad left and my mom was left with the three of us. And, and I mean, it was very hard for her. She, you know, she left a a career of being a nurse and then she's looking at going back to work and she's facing a a man who is, he, I mean, he, he can be pretty scary, very scary. You know, how how was the separation Leanne? Like, did they, did they part on, Was it agreed upon by both of them? Did she leave him? Like, how did that look and how did that make you feel? Oh, good question. So it was, it was more my dad wanting to leave. Okay. And so my mom was shattered, right? I mean, that was her world. Yes. And then it fell apart. So she consequently fell apart and understandably so. 
and and then as she f- started to fall apart, we would go and talk to my dad, and then then all of a sudden, my dad in a big you know white and shining armor, he decided that he's going to move back in the house with us, and of course, then my mom that was such a, a horrible time for her, so she she moved out, so then now it's my dad and the three of us, and he never parented us at all. I mean, he's provided for us financially, but he never parented us. And he thought, okay, I'm going to take all of us on a trip to Mexico city. Okay. And this was going to be how the family was going to come back together. So he kicked, you know, my mom left and then the next, uh, then he, he kicked my sister out and then, um, it was just my brother and myself and my dad. So we still went on that trip to Mexico. And city. your sister, um, was she the youngest or was she the eldest? Like, where was she in the, I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Okay. My sister is the, is the middle child okay. and my brother is the youngest. So okay. I'm the oldest. Okay. So we went on this trip to Mexico city and, you know, my dad, uh, he was in, probably still is. I haven't seen him for a long time. Very good looking. Like I always think whenever I see the movie Deliverance, yeah. he is, what do you call that? A doppelganger or dead ringer? Yes. Burt Reynolds. So you can imagine there's always lots of attention around us because he is in that league of, of good looking. So it ended up that one night he, um, I don't know, I can't say anything, but he, because I'm not 100% sure, but it's a perception of an 18-year-old. So there are two young girls involved. And the next morning, they're at the breakfast table with us. And it's like, okay. And so, of course, I'm not very polite to them because, you know, who knows what happened behind closed doors. So Mm. my dad takes me aside and he said, you little, how much am I allowed to swear here? (laughs) You can swear if you want to. (laughs) It's an adult show. <laughs> it's an adult show. Okay. All right. I, I, I'll just kind of say the first letter then. Yeah. You little B, B-I-T. Yeah. And he said, you know, you better smarten up with your attitude or else you're going to pee on the first plane back home. Right. And I was just like, oh my God, I was just devastated. Right. Devastated. So anyway, buried it put on my game face and then carried on with the trip. And then he decided that we would go to Mexico city. So we took a a little charter plane. We were in Guadalajara. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we took a little chartered plane over to Mexico city. So we had our own private tour guide. And from the time we had that private tour guide, my dad said, take us to a whorehouse. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, when I, you know, the, the, the tour guide's like, what is with this guy? I mean, he's with two young kids. Like my brother would have been 16. I'm 18. Wow. And, uh, so anyway, he must've thought we were like cuckoo. Mm -hmm. And so he took us to a few sites every time my dad, this is where I want to go. This is where I want to go. And I'm like, go just, I'll go shopping. Right. So anyway, by the end of the day, that he wore down that poor uh, tour guide and we ended up in a whorehouse and it was the weirdest thing, Amy, I walk in and we sit down at this table and all of a sudden there's this tray of drinks for me. And I, I mean, I 
didn't even order anything. And the tour guide said, don't take any of those drinks because who's ever drink you take, that's who you're, you know, supposed to be with or something okay. like that. Yeah. And then of course I'm not being well received because I'm, I'm looked upon as competition. Yeah. And I'm not, you know what I'm so, I, anyway, it was just, it was horrible. So yeah. we're sitting, I mean, 18 year old girl who has just been told anyway it was it was not a very nice situation and then my dad is like okay I want the best looking hooker in the house and blah 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 so again he just wears people down and out comes this girl like I'll never forget it was like she was dressed like Olivia Newton-John in Greece in the last scene where she comes out in that black unitard and so this girl she was drop dead gorgeous except for her outfit was baby blue. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, there, that was my brother's present and um, not very nice. And then, you know, of course, by this time, it's the end of the day, we miss our flight to go back, you know, to Guadalajara. And then, so now, at the hotel room, my dad's like, okay, well then you can go out with the tour guide. And I said, no, I don't want to go out. Well, he can show you the town. And I'm like, no, I don't really want to go. But anyway, you know, it ended up that I went, I was defenseless, just gentlemen took me out and in the middle of Mexico city took me somewhere. I'm assuming it was maybe his house or apartment or something. I don't know. And then I was, he raped me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He raped me. And I just remember being there on the bed and I just gave up right there. I mean, I don't know where I am. It's the middle of the night. I don't speak the language. Like, you know, what, where, what am I going to do? Right. So anyway, it was kind of like that scene castle in the sky. I just kind of like left my body and by the grace of God. And I mean, this might be harsh for some people to hear. He drove me back to the hotel Yeah, and I'm, you know, so he, that situation could have went a lot of different ways, but he drove me back and then that was the end of it. And that, that secret was buried for years. No one, no one ever knew. And so did your dad ever find out that this happened to you or is that what he wanted to happen to you or what I happened love there? that question? I love that question. So whenever I turned 30, I think I went through a bit of a crisis and that's when I made the decision that I was going to talk about it. So I lived in, in just outside of Toronto at the time. Okay. And I told my husband, at the time I had the two kids by this time that I was going to Ottawa and I was going to tell my family. And it was, it was on, it was on my, it was around my birthday when I turned 30. Mm -hmm. So I drove the five hours to Ottawa and um, I told my dad and he just sat there and I'll never forget. It was at the back of our, we used to, he lives on a, we lived in an old farmhouse And he was on this rocking chair and he was just sitting there and he's rocking back and forth. And he said, I never knew that. And he just sat there and he rocked and that's all that he said. And it was like a whole weight had lifted off me because I thought, you know what? He'll never understand. 
he'll never get it. Yeah. And it was hard, but it was very liberating at the same time because I, you can't give what you don't have meaning from him. Right. I mean, he, he had no skill set himself. So yeah. Yeah. And then the rest of the family, I mean, it was just swept under the rug. I mean, that's just our family dynamic and, and that's okay. So that's how, that's how that all went down at that time. How did you decide at 30 that you were going to tell him like, what, what's the thought process you went through where you were like, I'm, that's it. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell everybody that this happened to me. I knew at some level because I did, I certainly didn't have the awareness that I have now, but I knew at some level that this needed to be told. I couldn't stuff it down anymore. And I just felt that it was, it was time. It was not that I, I could connect the dots back then as a 30 year old, cause I was in my trauma brain so much and I was yeah. acting out so much. And, and, um, but I just knew that that was driving a lot of my bad behaviors, acting out behaviors. And I thought if I like told not everybody, but you know, a, a circle of people that it would cure me. Okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. Okay. And so what was the real outcome of that? And how did you, like at, by 30, what did your life look like? It was very hard in those 20s, 30s. Um, I was acting from a trauma brain. So I was not happy in my marriage. I good mother, but I wasn't present, right? As much as I, if I would be a parent now. Okay. And I felt that I was powerless. I was not a good partner with my husband. I I know that there was a whole lot of, that's a whole other story on its own. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately talking about it, the, the rape, that was kind of a starting point for me to say, okay, I need to leave the marriage. And then how it manifested in me physically, I had cervical cancer. Okay. A few years after that, I was 37, 38 in that age group when it manifested itself physically. Walk me through that journey. Like what happened after you got diagnosed? Whenever I was diagnosed, that's whenever um, I was in the middle of the divorce. I was, I had moved off of the farm. Mm-hmm. I was a single mom and I was going to massage therapy school. So that was, I was going back to school to um, have a second career. Um, it was, it was the weirdest experience because I went to another doctor and I didn't know him and he didn't really know me. And I, and he was doing my pap test. And I said to him, I go, you know what? It's not going to be good. And he looks at me and he's like, how can you say that? He goes, look at you. You're the picture of health. Like yeah. how can you say that. Yeah. And I thought, I don't even know where the heck those words came from. Right. Really? That's interesting. I, yeah. Cause I have no signs or symptoms. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, there's no real signs or symptoms. Right. Yeah. right? So yeah. The weirdest thing. So I, you know what, within, oh, I don't know, a week, he phoned me personally and he said, Leanne, you get down to Credit Valley Hospital now and you need to get checked out. 
And so then that started that process of going to Credit Valley. And then I I remember when they put the little camera inside me and they showed where the display show was, right? And it looked like a rotten piece of cauliflower. It wasn't small. It was quite big. Wow. I, I said to them, I go, how can this be? Because I go for my pap test, like I was pretty regular with my pap test. And I said, how old is this? And they said, oh, heavens, that's at least, least 10 years old or more. Oh, no way. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, That's what they said to me. And I said, well, how can that go undiagnosed? And they said, it's like fishing with a net. A lot of fish go through the, the, the holes. Right. And I just happened to be one of those people. So, but I mean, that's the, the plus side with cervical cancer. It's slow growing, right? Okay. It was interesting. So yeah, so that, that was that, that was that journey. Then the, the doctor said to me, okay, we need to, you know, cause I, 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 this is a long time ago. So they, they would have burned it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he said, but you know, it'll be a five week, at least five to eight week recovery period. So I said to him, well, I am in school and I'm on OSAP. I don't know what people know that. Like I was on government assistance mm-hmm. to go to, to um, school yeah. and I'm not allowed to take any breaks. So yeah. in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if it took 10 years to come to fruition, because it was slow growing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That doctor was furious with me. Furious. Really? Oh yeah. He was really mad because he said, you know, this needs to be addressed now. Yeah. And, but I couldn't afford to, there was no way I could afford to, right. Being in school and everything else. He, he listened to me and I said, I will, I will make sure that I'm healthy. And so Thankfully, I was in massage therapy school. So we had hydrotherapy as a class. Oh, interesting. And then this is where I started to change my health around and my mindset. So the first thing that I did, it was a little magazine from Alive. And it was um, Louisa Gittleman the fat flush. It was called the fat flush diet. It was a two page article in the alive magazine. So basically it was a diet of elimination, right? Yeah. Sugar, gluten, alcohol, caffeine, corn, you know, all of the, the high, the foods that create a lot of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So I did that for two weeks and all of a sudden my vision got better. The cellulite started to go, even though, you know, I'm not big, but you know, I was older, 40-ish, right? Yeah. And um, I had more energy and it was a hard two weeks, but I could really see the results. So basically then that's how I ate afterwards. And then that's when I started Pilates, which is, you know, really low impact. It's gentle on the body. Mm -hmm. And I would do that every day. What were you doing before the Pilates? Were you doing any, any other type of physical training? Oh, well, I was into horses, right? Oh, yes. So I had a career with horses. So I was mucking stalls, riding horses, you know, doing hay. So I was always a very strong athletic girl. 
Okay. And so I, I, yeah, so that was always my fitness. And then, then I discovered Pilates, right. And I loved what it did for me. It lengthened me out, centered me somehow. And I remember, I mean, my gosh, I had a VCR. They were like the big tapes and it was yeah. Mark Windsor because I, I didn't have any money. I had four tapes and I would rotate with those four tapes. And that's what my exercise was. So detox, the Pilates, and then I started dry brushing. So I still, to this day, I dry brush every single day. And as you know, you're in the health field too. I do it too. For the lymphatics, right? And so your lymphatics are your second immune system. So I thought, okay, this makes sense in my, my mind. Like, why, why help, you know, help myself, right? So increasing the lymphatics. And then what else I do, and I still do to this day, is I'll end off on a little bit of a cold shower. So, but if it's minus, you know, 20 or whatever it is, all I do is I'll just put the, the water under my armpits. Okay. On my groin area, always on my groin area, because that's where you know, the, that's where the cancer, the cancer was, yeah. was. Yeah. and my inner thighs, because all of the lymphatics live to the inside of our body. They do. Right? Yeah. So it's like underarm, underarm, pubic, and then a little bit on the inner thigh. So that's when it's really cold. But if it's warmer out, then I just do the whole body. Yes. Yes. So I do. And, and I do that too, and, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay, good. So we're, I'm talking to the soul sister here. I love that. So yeah. So that's another thing that I learned and I still continue to do that today. Mm -hmm. And then what was also interesting was the castor oil treatments. So have you ever done those, Amy? I have. Yeah. Okay. So then you know what I'm talking about. They're messy. They're messy. But we were doing castor oil treatments in the hydrotherapy class. So everyone knew what I was, you know, what was going to come down the pipe for me when school was out. So they were such a great group of people. So they would do all of the hydrotherapy directed at me with the uh, dysplasia and, and, and yeah, building my immune system. So I was really fortunate. So it was from that experience. That's how the gym was born because I thought, you know what? I had no money. I, you know, was in school and I was able to help support my immune system mm-hmm. that I got through it. Okay. And I thought, you know what, this, this needs to be for everybody, everybody, like I said, with the gym, right. And so Absolutely. that's how, that's how the gym came to be was pretty much through my, my experience there. So I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. What happened when, after you graduated, did you ever do any type of treatment for the cancer? Like what did that all look like? So then when it got burned out, Mm -hmm. then what I had to do was every three months, I would be going back to get checked up. Sure. Yeah. And then, Oh, thank you for asking that question. So after I had that procedure done, I went back to hydrotherapy and I was doing sitz baths with calendula and chamomile and, and all of those healing herbs. So I would like an infusion, is that what you would call it? Mm -hmm. And I would sit in that. And of course I would keep up with the dry brushing and the cold, you know, showers and the food and the exercise, but that was something else that I added. 
it was about, hmm, I would say five weeks or four weeks in after I had the, they had burned the dysplasia out. And then I started to have like a clear discharge. It wasn't, it wasn't alarming, but I thought, you know, maybe I just better phone. So I phoned the doctor and he said, well, I'll just prescribe you antibiotics on the phone. Okay. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I want you to look at me. And so I remember going down and he was working as an emergency doctor that day. So he came out of Emerge to to look at me. And so he looks at me and then I'll never forget. He rips the gloves off and he throws them on the ground. And he said, what have you done? And I said, what do you mean, what have I done? And he's like, I have never seen anybody heal like this and this fast from this procedure. There's nothing wrong with you. And he storms out of the room. (laughs) True story. True story. That's excellent. That's a testament, right? To all this ancient healing of hydro and the mindset too. I mean, that's a piece that I didn't really touch on, but. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about that now because the first episode we did for this podcast is my story and my survivorship story. And a lot of it has to do with the cancer. And so I want to know from you, do you like, what impact do you think the trauma of your experience growing up and that rape had on the manifestation of the cancer? And when did you start realizing that, you know, you had to do a little bit of a shift in the mindset? You know, Amy, you're in the healthcare profession. We learn muscle holds memory. It does. It holds memory. I believe that 100%. I've experienced it myself and with clients. So I had trauma there. Physically, the way I was brought up, there was trauma there, you know, with the way the language. So 100% it manifested and doesn't surprise me at all. And then to shift that, I honestly have to say, I am still a work in progress with it. I I've come like, I would, I need a telescope to look back at who I was back then. Yeah. As you know, it's layers upon layers. And then you go to another layer in your, or another level in your awareness or setting a goal, uh, new devils come up. Right. And then you go, Oh man, I thought I dealt with that. You got to go a little deeper. Sometimes you got to dig deeper. So yeah, yeah. I have to say a lot of it I'm I'm much better with, but I wouldn't be doing anybody's service if I said, "Oh, it's all peachy and roses." It's No, I mean I and and I agree with you. It's it's always a work in progress. We're all a work in progress and you know, we can start at a very young age with the shift in mindset and in dealing with what's happened to us, but sometimes what I've noticed is, you know, the memories seep through and then you feel in moments, right, that oh my gosh, am I back at square one again, right? Um but that's also your own intuition, it's your body, it's your mind, it's all the different pieces coming together. Mm-hmm. But I Really, I really love how you realized that there was a mindset shift needed and you started to work on that. Now, mm-hmm. what did this gym look like to you? Like, can you talk a little bit about how that idea came and how, like, if you have no money and you don't have anything to fall back on and you're yeah. literally finishing school to get through cancer treatment. So obviously you're in real, really uh, dire straits with two young kids. Like, yes. what did you do at that point to get this gym going? Oh, I'm so happy that you asked that question because this is a beautiful story, actually. It's a beautiful story. So, I mean, I would never forget 
that whenever I went through this experience Mm -hmm. and I was sitting in, in my little rented house and I looked out the window and I thought, you know what, where I live, which is not all a lot of people. And back then it was a little bit more of a cowboy town than it is now. Yeah. But I thought, you know what, acting needs something more. I have zero money. And in fact, I disclosed to you that I went, I had to go bankrupt Mm -hmm. and I, and it, you know, I didn't know how to manage money, lawyers fees, the whole bit. It, it, so here I am, I just came out of cancer, single mom, student loan debt, you know, had went bankrupt. And here I am thinking, Oh yeah, I should open up a gym and act in. So, you know, all of the outside circumstances would have said, yeah, you're a nut, Leanne. But I know in my heart, that's what acting really needed. And I believed in that 100%. So I didn't know how it was going to happen. I just started to put myself out there. And I was teaching some classes. I rented uh, at the arena. And what was interesting is my son was playing hockey. And the team manager asked me, because she knew I was doing the the Louise Del Gittleman thing. She saw that I was studying. She knew I was in fitness. So she asked me if I would do the dry land training for the boys. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, sure. Of course I I would. So I did the dry land training and it was great because they had more gas in the third period in the game. And they, it was just a fun, it was a, a good bonding experience. So shortly after that, she asked me if I would go to her house and teach Pilates because she loved Pilates as much as I did. So I went to her house and yeah, it was more than a house. It was like a a castle. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So anyway, I I taught there for some people in her neighborhood. One day she came up to me and she said, do you want to open up a gym in Acton? I'm like, what? She said, yeah, let's open up a gym in Acton. I, I think you need to have a spot to be showcased. You walk the walk, you are passionate, you believe in this lifestyle. And besides, I, I need a place to go. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So you know what, Amy? And that's- then how how long was it between this offer and when you really started thinking Acton needs a gym? That probably was about a year and a half you know, one step at a time. And because it took us almost a full year to find the location. Okay. So I'm, I'm including that one year in there before we actually opened up our doors. So mm-hmm. my God, I mean, she was my angel. She is my angel. She still supports me, you know, and believes in me. And, and yeah. That's a great story, Leanne. I really, really appreciate it. It's so inspirational. And I feel like, uh, you know, the whole purpose of this podcast is to really uh, resonate with those who listen to it and to give hope to those who may not see what they have ahead of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And your story really has that resounding effect on anybody. I want to ask you, do you have anybody in mind that you'd like to dedicate this podcast to who may not um, have survived or somebody you want to honor who's still stuck um, so that you can honor them from a really healthy place? I always think about Janice Joplin and Amy Winehouse. Yes. Right? 
I'm even going to actually tear up here. I think I'm going to be good though. But, you know, when I think of Janice Joplin and what a tortured soul she was, and, you know, take a little bit of, take another little piece of my heart, right? And just, and then even Amy Winehouse, it was almost like she, it was a premonition towards her death. And, yeah, you know, that could have been me. That could have been me. I could have went down that road very easily. Of dr- I mean, I did, right? I mean, there. I'm not saying that I was a totally clean person. I mean, there was drugs, there was alcohol, there was a lot of acting out sexually, right? So, mm. you know, I could have kept going down that path easily. So I want to dedicate that to the people that, you know, these are creative souls that we lost. And they had such a beautiful message for the world, right? Yeah. And they've left a beautiful message for the world because their music is immortal. Yes. Well, I'm super proud of you, Leanne. And oh. I want to thank you so much for doing this. And I will be inviting you back because I think you've got some more aspects to your story because we didn't really touch on the drugs and the alcohol and the other yeah. aspect of it. So yeah. I will invite you back perhaps for another episode. Okay. But for now, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, we really appreciate it. And thank oh. you to all our listeners for joining us today at Calm After the Storm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories. Today's episode was brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. We look forward to hearing from you again. Feel free to leave comments and suggestions in the message area below or to reach out to our team if you feel that you are a good candidate for appearing on Calm After the Storm.